Exodus 30. She's still sleeping. You know, we're almost at the point where the Lord tells Moses to leave the mountain and go and tend to the people. We're almost at that point, a couple more weeks. And uh, what's so beautiful about these passages in this time of intimacy that Moses has with God and God has with Moses, the intimacy between the two, is that the Lord is showing him these blueprints. And when you read the passages, we're going to get there eventually on a Sunday in the book of Acts. Uh, But Brother Stephen, the first martyr in accordance with the faith, he illuminated to the religious leaders exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit was speaking to the religious leaders through him and was telling him that, you know, the Lord was showing these things. So it wasn't like, you know, it, it, I, in my mind's eye, I just wonder what that must have been like. You know, if it was like, you know, like straight up, if he was having a vision, if Moses was having a vision uh, of, you know, the Lord was just so showing him like, this is what you have to do. This is how you do it. Here's the blueprints. Here's the measurements. You got to do it exactly like this. So, you know, almost like you know, getting a picture of what the Lord wanted Moses to do. And it's so powerful because the Lord does the exact same thing with you and with me in our moments of intimacy with the Lord. He gives us blueprints for life. He gives us blueprints on how to respond to stimuli. You know, when we're uh, presented with one thing, you know, we filter it in our minds. You say, "How how do you know how to filter it? Well, you know, you have intimacy with the Lord. And in your intimacy with the Lord, through the scripture, Holy Scripture, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will teach you these things and show you these things. Look, this is the mistake David make. David made. You know, look, this is the mistake that, that uh, 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 John made, you know, or this is the mistake that Peter made. And, you know, this is the restoration that came after repentance. And it's so beautiful because these are things that we can apply in our lives. It's one thing to know the Bible. And I should say, you know, it's one thing to know the Bible, but it's not really that much. You say like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you said it like that. Well, you know, those who know, know in part. That's written in 1 Corinthians 13. Those who know, know in part. And I think that's so beautiful because you have all these brainiacs, you know, they know everything about the Bible. They know, like, you know, this says this here, this is this here, this says this here. But, you know, where is it being applied in their lives? Where is it being applied in their lives? And that's the disconnect. That's the disconnect that I pray never happens with you or with me. That we read the Bible, that we learn the Bible, that the Spirit speaks to us, that the Lord speaks to us from His Word, that He gives us this wisdom. But then at the same time, not that we, you know, like... We don't apply these things in our life, but that we do apply these things in our life. And so we're going to look at passages in the Old Testament, specifically in Exodus 30. But we're also going to take a journey through later chapters in the Old Testament to see what happens. And here in verse 1, in these blueprints that the Lord is giving, he says, You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. It's very interesting here because this altar that the Lord is telling Moses to make and to build, he's going to show it in these coming verses, but it's right outside of the Holy of Holies. So like the temple has certain chambers or this tabernacle has certain chambers. When you're on the outside and you enter, there's this courtyard 
And after the, in, inside the courtyard, that's where the animal sacrifices would take place. And then you have the holy place, which is inside of this court, inside of the uh, the boundaries of this tabernacle. You have this what's called the the holy place, and then inside or inside the holy place, you have. Um, um, uh, um, the lampstand. You have uh, the uh, showbread, the table of the showbread, and then you have this altar of incense, which is right outside another door, which is the door to the Holy of Holies. It's a very, very special place. It's where the Lord comes and speaks to the people through the high priest. The high priest was the only one that can go into the Holy of Holies. You know, and I say that with such specific importance because as new covenant believers, we have a new high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Very, very important. Because that's one of the dangers of the Hebrew Roots Movement. They'll go back to these writings of the Old Testament and elevate these writings of the Old Testament to the point where they elevate it above Jesus Christ. Never, ever do that for as long as you live. Never, ever do that. Jesus Christ is preeminent over all things. He is the high priest. And so, you know, it's, it's very interesting because there's this specific altar, which is to burn incense on. But what's very interesting is that in the, in the, the temple, in the heavenly realm, Brother John has a vision of it in, in, in Revelation. But in Revelation chapter 8, verse 3, it's the golden altar, which is before the throne. But then the Bible specifically says it's the prayer of the saints. This incense here in Exodus in the Old Testament. It's an Old Testament example of the prayer of the saints. Very, very, very important to remember that. Now, turn with me to Psalm 141. Psalm 141. In Psalm 141, verse 1, a Psalm of David, this is what he says. Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. You see, it's like the correlation of prayer being incense in the life of David. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. This is very, very important to read these verses in verse 2 because it's, you know, it's kind of like a like a segue to the teachings of the Old Testament. And you say, what do you mean a segue to the teachings of the Old Testament? Because a big problem that happened in the Old Testament with a lot of people, kings and priests and the people alike, they followed the letter of the law. Even the Pharisees, they followed the letter of the law. And even the church in Galatia, they started to follow the letter of the law. And Paul says, don't do that, you guys. Don't follow the letter of the law. People who go back fall into the Hebrew Roots Movement. They want to go and perform the things of the law. You know, who is it in their life that's saying, no, don't do that? It's not good to do that. Because there's the letter of the law, which 
is spiritual blindness. It's religion. You know, it's not just a matter of, you know, coming to church on Wednesdays and then at 7 p.m., you know, going to church on Sundays at 11 p.m. and uh, uh, having, you know, maybe a, a women's Bible study, you know. And it's not just a matter of, you know, that's like, you know, religion. We're not robotic. You know, a lot of times people like to live their lives like robots and say, OK, it's 8 a.m. I'm going to pray. You know, I'm going to read my Bible at 8 a.m., 8.05, I'm going to pray, and at 10 minutes total, I'm done, I'm good. And it's not a bad thing to be in the Bible. It's not a bad thing to pray. But when you follow this, like, you know, robotic, you know, okay, this, 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 it's not about that. You know, you start to miss things of the spirit of the law. In the spirit of the law, it's 100% about a love relationship. A love relationship, and I speak very personal. I know we're a church body. I know we have separate family units. But then at the same time, it's very personal, specific to each individual. A love relationship between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. You and the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You and the very only begotten son of God. And you have this love relationship with him. And then all of a sudden, you know, your eyes, your ears, and your heart are open to him. Open to the things of the Lord. Such is the case with David. To straight up be in the Old Testament and to even utter these words, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Look at this prayer of David. He says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You know, I used to have very, very loose lips in terms of like cussing and speaking very carnally. You like anger, you know, I would have anger in my heart and it would just go right from my heart out of my mouth. And I don't care if it was anger, if it was rage, if it was ever, you know, I would just, you know, I didn't fear the Lord. I would just say whatever. Learn from David. Because his prayer to the Lord, you know, Lord, guard, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to eat to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do, do not let me eat of their delicacies. I think verse 3 and verse 4 is very, very, very important. Because it's almost like. Steps towards falling astray. Steps towards falling away. Because if you look at verse 4 and then you go to verse 3, you go like in reverse order. You see that, you know, there's bad company. which And then you see the bad works. And then you see the bad heart. And then you start to see the bad words as he mentions in verse 3. It's kind of like an indicator. Do you ever... Have you ever said something like in conversation, you say something and you're like, wow, I can't believe I said that. It's almost like shocking to you. Wow, I can't believe I said that. Sometimes Liz and I were watching TV, watching the news and we're watching politics and we'll see some like liberal politician, you know, and they'll say something, you know, we're against this or, you know, we're for a woman's right to choose you know, and, you know, up until they say, like, when is a baby considered a human being? And they say the baby is legally considered a human being when they leave the threshold of the hospital, the door. 
And it's like, well, I can't believe she said that. You know, I can't believe this person said that that person is such a dummy. And then like we look at each other like, "Ah, I can't believe I said that. You know, it's almost like the what comes out of your mouth is like precursor. It's like an indicator of what's going on inside the heart. You know, we can use these things to help one another in the body of Christ. And, you know, for parents, too. A kid says, hey, mom, hey, dad, can I go play with Joey across the street? And they go play with Joey. You see them riding their bikes and then like you're having dinner. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's like a little cuss word thrown out there or uh, foul language is starting to be used. Like, wow, where did you learn that? You're not going to go out with Joey anymore. If you want to play with Joey, you play with Joey right here where I can watch you guys. And instead of Joey being a fisherman to your little son or your little daughter, you know, you're a fisherman to Joey. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, so you see this in the Old Testament, you know, bad company is a, is a corrupter of character. And you see it like what he says here in verse three and four, the bad company, the bad works, the bad heart. And then all of a sudden the bad words, when speech goes astray, the heart will soon follow. Very, very important. And, you know, you learn from mistakes. David certainly learned from him his mistakes. Certainly he learned a very hard lesson. Look at what he says here in verse five. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. This is correction from the godly. Correction from the godly. Have you ever been on the receiving end of correction from a godly person, godly man or a godly woman? Doesn't matter the sex. It doesn't matter the age. Someone might say like, you know, I don't like it when you do this. But, you know, they beat on their wives, they cheat on their wives, they're doing all kinds of drugs, and you're like, I don't care, you know, in one ear, out the other. But then you take a godly person, and that person says, you know what, I don't want to hurt you, I love you, uh, to the moon and back, but, you know, this isn't really, this isn't good before the Lord. And it's like a knife in your heart. That's what David is saying here, let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness and let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. You see, it's like bathing in the pureness of God's handiwork. Let my head not refuse it. This is the prayer that David has before the Lord to address his own carnality. What is my prayer? What is your prayer before the Lord to address our own own carnality? And we're stuck in these earth suits, you know, not forever, you know, just for a short time. The Bible calls it just, you know, it, it's just a vapor. It's not a long period of time. We think like, man, you know, the next 20 years, man, the next 80 years, man, the next whatever. But in accordance with eternity, it's nothing. It's like a little tiny vapor. And what is my prayer to address my carnality? What is your prayer to address your carnality? And remember, our prayer is like incense to the Lord. Just like he says here in verse 2. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. Can you imagine that? I mean, I don't light incense. You know, when I was a heathen, I used to light incense, you know, and I used to do, like, you know, do all these crazy things, you know, light my incense and let it make it. But your hippies do that. And you do that and it's like, what is, you see the, the smoke go up from the little thing and it fills the room. 
But it's like, man, that's like my prayers. That's like your prayers going up into the heavenly realm. The Bible addresses it here. The Bible addresses it in Revelation 8. And the Bible addresses it here in Exodus 30. Can you imagine going? If we follow the letter of the law, it's almost like, you know, let's go out in the wilderness and let's build the tabernacle. What an affront to Jesus Christ. Because the Old Testament is a shadow of the things to come. It shows us a picture of the Lord. And it shows us a picture of ourselves before the Lord. Do we just stand there like, you know, you know, here I am before the Lord. Or do we bow our hearts and bow our minds before the Lordship of Jesus Christ? That's what's so powerful about the Holy Word of God. How he teaches us these things. So turn with me, go back with me to Exodus 30. And this concept is very, very important because we're going to touch on it again. So here in chapter 30, verse 1, you know, or, or you know, it, it's, you know, you have to get that, that mindset of like the prayer is like the incense. Remember, you know, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And then you have like the, uh, uh, um. Uh, like an earthly example of heavenly things. But what about you and what about me? Am I and are you an earthly model of heavenly things? It's very hardcore. It's a hardcore question. If you look at yourself in the mirror and you ask yourself, you know, when you're brushing your teeth in the mirror or in the, you're at the sink and you have the mirror in front of you. You just ask yourself, is this an example of a heavenly thing, this temple. When, you know, the work of your hands, who knows what the work of your hands were? You know, the Lord knows. Am I and are you an example of heavenly things? Have high, high, high regard for your witness. What is your witness? What is my witness before the Lord? Remember, it's all done for him. I could say, what is my witness before the people? I want to look good for the people. I want to look like I'm holy for the people. No, it doesn't work that way. It's for the Lord. 100% of the time. If it's not, get it that way. If it's for the people, cut it out. Do it for the Lord. And have regard for your witness before the Lord. Our old pastor in California, he always used to tell us, you know, when we consider our witness. He says, you know, you guys are the only Bible that some people will read. They might have a dusty Bible on their bookshelves. They might have the Bible app on their phone to look like they're holy, you know, and they'll put it on their first screen, their home screen. So it's like if somebody sees it, like, wow, they have a Bible app. And get these little prayer reminders, you know, a daily verse reminder pop up. Somebody sees that, wow, you know, this you know, person who, who reads his Bible. But they don't even read. Don't even read the Holy Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And our pastor always used to tell this, be very, very mindful of your witness before the Lord. Because sometimes you're the only Bible people will ever read. 
And so he said that to us, and I pass it on to you. And look what happens here in verse 2 now. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold, and you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides. You shall place them on two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You know what I love so much about these times? All these times when the Lord tells them, you know, take this altar and put rings on it. Put all these rings on the corner. You know, have these horns here. And then you take these rings and you put these rings on. And then the poles would go inside. And then the people would come and they would carry it. Because remember, this tabernacle, it's portable. Portable. Old Testament. Portable. Even in accordance with the new covenant, portable. You say, what do you mean? Jesus Christ is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go, the Lord is with you. Portable. You say, wow, you know, I'm in church. I'm in the church sanctuary. The Lord is with me. I say, praise the Lord. You get in your car. He's portable. You got, you know, the poles. He's with you. You get home, you know, you do whatever you got to do, you know, get ready for bed, put in your pajamas, go to bed. He's, he's with you. You go to work, you're in your car going to work. He's with you. Driving to the doctor. He's with you. In the doctor's room, you know. He's right there. Portable. He's with you wherever you go. That's what I love so much about reading these passages. Because the, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle is portable. But then when Solomon starts to build the temple, David wanted to build it. And the Lord was like, no, David, you have blood on your hands. You're a man of war. You're a man of blood. You can't build it. But your son can do it. And so, you know, his son started to build it. David would start to, you know, start to collect all the items, take all this wood, all this, you know. The queen of Sheba would come, you know, and she met with Solomon and she was like, well, I can't believe this. You know, the Lord spoke to my heart and wanted me to, you know, give you all this wood, all this material. And so Solomon started to build the temple. And then from there, the tabernacle was fixed. It was no longer the tabernacle. It became the temple, but the same blueprint of the, the, the courtyard, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. What is it for you and me today? The tabernacle, the oneness that we have with Jesus Christ, he's portable, but there's still a set, a fixed tabernacle. And I'm speaking of Zion. John writes about it when he has his vision and he starts to explain it. All you got to do is read Revelation 20 and 21. He starts to write about this tabernacle. The Old Testament is a shadow of the things to come. And so look what happens here. He says in verse 5, You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put it before the veil. So it's right outside the Holy of Holies. That is before the Ark of the Testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. You see, God's desire is to meet with his people. 
That's his desire. He's not saying, Moses, you know, be a robot, you know, build these blueprints, you know, I'm going to give you these blueprints, build it like this, and, you know, it's just do it for the heck of it. I, I hate saying that that way. But he doesn't say that. His desire is to meet with the people. To be with his creation. And you read this and it's like, wow, you know, what great lengths the Lord went went through. Right from the fall. And then all the way from paradise lost, all the way to paradise gained. What great lengths the Lord went through. Even his only begotten son as an offering for your sin and for my sin. But then you start to realize, man, you know, it's my sin. It's your sin. It's sin. That's what separates us from the Lord. That's what separates me and you from the Lord. You know, we have the blood of Jesus Christ. Just make sure for the rest of your life, as long as you live, that, you know, you always have the blood of Jesus Christ over the doorpost of your heart. People say, oh, once saved, always saved. The Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible does not teach once saved, always saved. Paul specifically writes about people who have left the faith. Moses specifically writes about people whose names are written in the book of life and then the names are blotted out of the book of life. Jesus Christ even says in Revelation 2 and 3, names that are written in the book of life and then names that are blotted out of the book of life because there's no repentance. That's the beauty of repentance. It's God's mercy, God's grace. All through the entire scripture, Old and New Testament, the nature of our Lord never changes. His desire is to be one with you. That's his desire. And then look what he says here in verse 7. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. So you see, it's new every morning. Remember, the incense is like prayers. You wake up in the morning, what do you do? Turn on the TV, turn on the radio. You know, go to the bathroom, I don't know. <laughs> Not to be graphic, you know. What do you do? Get your cup of coffee. But where's the prayer unto the Lord? Where is, where is his incense of prayer? He wants it. He wants it. He wants to hear from you. And what blows me away is you have this Old Testament example of like the sweet incense every morning. But then look at verse 8. And when Aaron tends the light, the lamps at twilight, so it's nighttime now, he shall burn incense on it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. It's never ceasing. That's the desire of the Lord. And I specifically mentioned prayer because we are new covenant believers. We are believers, not in, the old, in accordance with the Old Testament, in accordance with the law, because in the law is death. But we are believers in accordance with the new covenant. But turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. 
Isaiah chapter 1. Something happens. Something happens. And it begs the question, what in the world happened? What in the world happened? Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. The beautiful, beautiful prophet Isaiah. One of my favorite prophets in the entire Bible. I say that about everybody. So, But he really is one of my favorites. Verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? Verse 11 alone is like hardcore. This very first sentence in verse 11 is hardcore. He's like saying, what's the point? What's the purpose? All these sacrifices that we read last week in in chapter 29, all these sacrifices, remember, a lot of blood. Why was there a lot of blood? Because there was a lot of sin in the camp that the Lord wanted to cover and atone for. And here in verse 11 of Isaiah 1, to what purpose? What's it all for? To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. You see like, well, what happened? Here we're reading in Exodus these these chapters where Moses has this beautiful, beautiful intimacy with the Lord. Beautiful intimacy. I love it so much. I mean, you know, if I could be a fly on the wall or a fly on the rock, you know, a fly on the mountain, I would love it so much. Just to hear like, whoa, you know. What's going on up there? Or like imagine Joshua. Joshua, you know, he doesn't go down to the people. He doesn't partake in the sin in the camp. He's right there outside of the the cloud on on the mountain. And Moses is, you know, disappears into the cloud. But imagine the things he heard. I don't know what he heard. I don't know how far away he was. If he was close to here. Or if he was just kind of just waiting there by faith, you know, all the people thought Moses was dead. And Joshua, you know, he didn't think Moses was dead. He was just waiting for Moses. So what happened? I mean, this, I don't know what kind of Bible you have, but I have about, you know, three quarter inch from Exodus 30 to Isaiah 1. There's a lot of happenings here in an inch of the Bible. A lot going on. And you know what it is? It's a lot of carnality a lot of the flesh spiritually speaking a lot of the carnal nature of mankind in israel the same way carnality can come into my temple and your temple the exact same way and the lord is saying what's the purpose of your sacrifice I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. So you think, did God change his mind? Exodus 30, it's so beautiful. And here in Isaiah 1, did God change his mind? No, he didn't change his mind. The heart of the people changed. The heart of the people has changed. Has changed. In verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand? To trample my courts. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. 
Remember, you know, like what we read in in, in, in uh, Psalm 141, how prayer is like incense. And here in verse 13, he's straight up saying incense is an abomination to me. It's so beautiful. We're reading in, in Exodus 30. And here he's saying it's an abomination. What changed? The heart of the people. In Proverbs 28, verse 9, says, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. It's the heart of man. What happens if I'm so, so madly in love with the Lord? And then something happens in my life where I start to beat on my wife. I start to cheat on my wife. I start to do drugs. I start to do alcohol. And then all of a sudden, you know, I start to pray. My prayer is, you know, it's, it's an abomination before the Lord. You say, whoa, that's hardcore. What do you mean prayer is an abomination? Where is the obedience? Where is the obedience unto the holy word of God? You know, I got a needle in my arm. I'm you straight up got a needle in my arm. I got my alcohol in my other hand. And I start to pray to the Lord. It's an abomination to him. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Whoa, that's hardcore. I don't like to hear those words. I don't like how you say that. I'm just a messenger. I'm not saying it. It is written. Look at what he says here, the new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. This is the Lord. He's speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And he's saying, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. You know what that's a picture of? Churches. People come together, they gather, they're in the sanctuary. Everybody's like, wow, how you doing? You know, praise the Lord. They have their hands up, they're worshiping. You got the rock star, you know, worship leader. You got the rock star pastors with his highlights, you know, and he's got this fashionable glasses on. He's got the skinny jeans on. They're faded and ripped exactly the way all the popular kids do. Who's a poser. And then they say, okay, God bless you. They leave and they're going doing their sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. Alcohol, all kinds of things. And then they meet together the next week. And the Lord is saying, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. All these things that the Lord is saying to Moses and things that we're going to see in the law. Such beautiful, beautiful things in accordance with the law. I'm not advocating the law, but beautiful things in terms of the Lord wanting to meet with the people and speak to the people and have oneness with the people through the high priests. He says, they are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. That's the disconnect. What happened? So say, you know, I'm beating on my wife. I'm cheating on my wife. I got a needle in my arm. I got my meth in my back pocket. I'm ready to go. And then all of a sudden I start praying. Number one, I can never be a pastor. 
Never, ever, ever can I have this authority to even teach the Holy Word of God. I have relinquished that right. It's not even a right. I have relinquished that privilege if I behave in that manner. I have disqualified myself. But it's like, whoa, this is, this is heavy. You're right, it is heavy. That's why you read the Bible and all these writers, Peter, Paul, hey, make your call and election sure. Count the cost, Jesus Christ even says. Well, he said it, you know, somebody else wrote it, you know. Count the cost. Count the cost. I shouldn't say, you know, he said it, John wrote it. John wrote it, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Little disclaimer, you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the Lord wrote it, you know. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. That's hardcore stuff. So why in the world am I going to play games with the Lord? I'm using myself as an example. But really, I'm trying to say, why are you going to play games with the Lord? Why are we going to play games with the Lord as a koinonia? I say this not to hurt anybody. But I say this because you know what? Let's be a people of God and make our call and election sure. He says, your hands are full of blood. This is what is so beautiful here in verse 16. You know, it's a heavy indictment. Like, man, you know, like, whoa, Lord, you know, you do not delight in the blood. You've had enough. You're saying what purpose is the multitude of the sacrifices? Incense is an abomination. Your soul is like all these feasts that we have. My soul hates you say. You're not going to hear my prayers. This is what he says in verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Notice, learn to do good. How do you learn? The holy word of God. Not learn to do good and go work for, you know, Habitat for Humanity. You know, the Lord could call you into that kind of, uh, you know, a ministry that works like that. But it's not for the sake of humanity. The work of the Lord. It's for the sake of the Lord. A lot of times people say, I want to do the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord. But they forget the Lord of the work. That's what happened with Israel and Judah. And the Lord is telling them through Isaiah, learn to do good. Seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. One of my favorite verses in the entire scripture. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Come now and let us reason together. So many people will say, oh, I'm predestined. I'm a crack addict. I'm predestined to be a crack addict. I was born this way. I was born this way. No. The Lord says, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That's the beauty of repentance. Truth cuts to the heart. Truth hurts. Truth is so, so, so painful. But what happens in that pain? Lord, what do I do? I read your word and I'm cut to the heart. It hurts. 
Remember Peter when he told, he said, you know, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. And they cried out, you know, brother, what do we do? He says, repent. Repent. That's what you see all through Genesis, all the way to Revelation. You see, repent, 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 repent. All through mankind, repent, repent, repent. A new generation, one generation passes, a new generation comes to this place, repent, 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 repent. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient. You see, willing and obedient. Obedient to what? The word of God. Obedient to who? The Lord. You shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Look at the first sentence of verse 21. How the faithful city has become a harlot. This is hardcore stuff. That's what happened with Israel. They forgot the things of the Lord. The Lord became a forgotten thing. He was disregarded as pie in the sky. I hate uttering those words. But he was regarded as pie in the sky. And so the Lord knocked on the heart of Isaiah. Isaiah. I have a special job for you. I want you to tell the people to repent. To return to me. Because I've seen the work of their hands. And I don't like it. I don't want their sacrifices. I see them go to temple. I hate it. I see them bring their sacrifices. I hate it. I see their gatherings. I don't like it. Their sacred meetings. I can't, like, I can't endure iniquity. My soul hates it. I hear their prayers, but you know what? I don't. You know, I, I see them fall on their face like they're praying, but I don't want to hear it because I see them do these things. But I also see the work of their hands, and they're full of blood. I also see what goes on behind closed doors where nobody's watching. Tell the people to repent, Isaiah. The same thing can happen with you and with me. When the Lord is regarded as pie in the sky. Oh, I'm preordained. I was born this way. No. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. And it's so sad because this is what, you know, all these prophets, you know, a lot of them were killed because the people didn't want to hear it. But you go back to Exodus 30 and it's so, so, so incredibly beautiful. The Lord desires to meet with his people. This is the heart of the Lord. In verse 9 in Exodus 30. Verse 9, you shall not offer strange incense on it or a burnt offering or a grain offering, 
nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. Notice the altar is for incense. Nothing strange. How that translates is different. Profane. It also translates as adulterous. You know what we read in Isaiah 1? How the faithful city has become a harlot. I mean, we're going to see in passages where, you know, Jerusalem is named. It's so beautiful. The people of God, they're like, wow, you know, the city of David is so beautiful. Imagine for the Lord to call this city the land of harlots. For the Lord to call Israel harlots, whores, prostitutes. That's heavy. And the Lord in the Old Testament, in these very blueprints that he's giving to Moses in his special time of intimacy, Moses and the Lord, and the Lord and Moses, he's telling him no strange incense, no mixture. Do it exactly as I told you to do it. You know what? How that applies to you and me inside of these temples? Nothing profane in these temples. Nothing profane. You say, man, that's impossible. Well, we're in the book of Acts. We're going to read about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're studying these things on Sunday. It's the Shekinah glory inside of your temple. I shouldn't even say your temple. It's the Lord's temple. It's not just, okay, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray. No, it's Obey. Obey the word of the Lord and then pray. And you'll see something radically change. Remember, obedience is better than the fat of rams. And so look what happens here. In verse 10, And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Most holy to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom, or it translates as a sum of money, for himself to the Lord when you number them that there may be no plague among them when you number them. That's when we get into the book of Numbers. It's called Numbers for this reason. They take a census. So like right now, if I were to take a census of the church, it'd be super easy. I could do it like a little, what is this, you know? Smaller than this. Smaller than this, I could do it, you know? Write everybody's names. Okay, good to go. But what if we had multitudes of people and it's like, wow, we have no idea. So I'm going to take a census. I need to know how many people are in the body. That's, what, that's why numbers is called numbers. Because it's the enumeration of the people of Israel, the numbers of, of Israel. And that's the Lord is telling Moses to do that. Take a census of Israel. In Numbers chapter 1, he starts to list all the, the, the tribes of Israel. And I love it so much because when we get to Numbers 1, he specifically says of all the tribes who are able to go to war, to fight. <clears throat> so many times people think, oh, I'm going to be a Christian, you know, and I'm going to, you know, collect daffodils 
and skip everywhere I go and throw out these, you know, daffodil leaves everywhere I go, the daffodil uh, petals and flower petals and skip everywhere I go. No, you know, when you call on the name of Jesus Christ and you have the name of Jesus Christ on your heart, emblazoned on your heart and your mind, you have a big target. Satan wants to kill you. He wants to take you out. And that's when the Lord teaches us to, wear, you know, use the weapons of our warfare. It's kind of interesting, you know, you have these, this little uprising in Iran, you know, and I was reading this news article and it's like the Selective Service website crashed. All these millennials who are afraid to fight, you know, they're like, oh, I don't want to get drafted. I don't know. How do I avoid the draft? How do I avoid the draft? I'm going to move to Canada. You know, I'm going to move to Mexico. I'm going to deny my citizenship. I'm going to do this. I'm, gonna do... I'm like reading like, man, who are these people? Nobody wants to fight. And I'm not saying, you know, you know, go out there and kill, but spiritually speaking, nobody wants to fight. Nobody wants to fight. But that's what I love so much about numbers. You know, the Lord tells Moses, take a census, take all these men, everybody who's able to go to war. I have to tell you, your walk with Jesus Christ, you know, a lot of times he'll fight the fight for you. A lot of times he'll say, you know, don't worry about it. You know, go to sleep, take a nap. But then there's going to be times when he says, you know what? I know I told you to take a nap at this time, but this whole time I've been training you. Your legs are stronger. Your back is stronger. Your shoulders are stronger. You know, your grip is stronger. You can carry this sword. You can hold this shield. You have, you know, your neck is stronger. I've been teaching you. I've been training you. I've been building you. I've been working you up. I've been equipping you. Now, I want you to fight. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be right there beside you. But I want you to fight still. And that's what I love so much about the Lord, how he teaches us. Because it's like, wow, how we can fight the good fight of faith. As we see Paul in the book of Acts. As we see all these men and women. We're going to see a lot of men and women in the book of Acts. And I love it so much. Men, women, young, old, it doesn't matter. Jew, Gentile even who come into the faith. Jew who, you know, are, are renounced the, the, you know, they're not looking for the Messiah anymore because they found the Messiah. They're Messianic Jews. And it's like, whoa, you're going to see something so crazy. It's like the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the church. And the church is just blowing up like crazy. You see all kinds of miracles, healings, signs, and wonders. And people say, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Really? Oh, yeah, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Oh, here, let me pull the needle out of my arm. It was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Oh, did I tell you I have this problem with pornography? That was for 2,000 years ago. Did I tell you I'm beating on my wife? I'm an alcoholic. That's the disconnect. That's the disconnect. But, you know, the census that the Lord is telling Moses to take the census, you know, of all the able bodies who are able to go to war. In verse 13, in closing, this is what every among, uh, this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. This is unit of measurements. 
units of measurement. He says the half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. An offering. Notice, it's to the Lord. 100% to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. So it's like Old Testament millennials, you know, above 21 or above 20 years old and above shall give an offering. It's millennials and like the, you know, I forgot what generation I am. X generation? What are we, baby? I forgot. Yeah, Gen X, Gen X. Then after Gen X, what is after Gen X? No, I meant like the other way, the older people. Man, that's too old. There's got to be somebody there. Really? So it's Gen X and then baby boomers? Wow. I guess I'm older than I thought I was. And what's after baby boomer? Dead. So everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. Everybody. So the millennials, Gen X, the boomers, I guess you stop when you're dead. In verse 15, notice verse 15. This is a, the people giving. The rich shall not give more than the poor. The rich shall not give more and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. So this equality. Everybody's talking about equality these days, you know. The Lord is saying, hey, rich people don't give more. Poor people don't get less. Everybody gives half a shekel. He says, shall not give less than half a shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. It's 100% for the Lord. And then notice what happens to the money now. And you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall. Notice what it doesn't say. He doesn't say, and shall buy a yacht. You know, you shall take the proceeds of the church what the people gave and, you know, buy an airplane. You shall take, you know, the money of the children of Israel and shall buy a new mansion as a tax haven. These are things that are done a lot amongst the clergy, pastors and elders. You know, I have to tell you, there's a lot of tax advantages behind clergy taxes. A lot of tax advantages. You start to see churches, it's like a, a tax haven. They get their 501c3 approval. They say, oh yeah, give all your things, you know, tax-free, give here, give here. Reduce your taxable income, give here, give here, give here. And all you're doing is you're expanding their, you know, their, their base, so to speak. And for the sake of ministry, they're filling their wallets. Our pastor in California, he was also a violent guy. You know, the Lord healed him from a heart of violence. But he was saying how one time he was in this pastor's meeting. And they were in a small room of pastors. And somebody brought in like an, uh, an offering plate. And they reached in and there was a poor church. It wasn't like a wealthy church. It's kind of like predominantly poor people. And so somebody reached in there and grabbed like a gold chain. Nobody gave money. It was like this person didn't give money, but gave a gold chain and put it in the offering. And this pastor came and reached in, grabbed it, and he put it around his neck and says, the Lord has provided. And our pastor in California, he said he had to leave because he wanted to kill that guy. He's like, this isn't for you. This is not for you. This is what the Lord says in the Old Testament. You shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel. 
and shall appoint it or render it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting. It's for the service of the church. That's what it's for. Then you see these, you know, these pastors, they get their yachts, you know, with tax advantages. They buy their special properties. You know, this property that's, you know, designed for ministry, it just happens to be on the California Pacific Coast in this nice gated community. It just happens to be in Hawaii on the coast, nice gated community. But the Lord says, and shall appoint it, shall render it for service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. All these things that are written in the Old Testament, it's so that God can be glorified. But the number two, like we read in verse 10, it is most holy to the Lord. But don't ever, ever, ever forget, just as he says in verse 6, he says, you know, I will meet with you. That's the desire of the Lord, to meet with his people. The problem comes when the people forget the Lord. They'll go through the motions. They'll be like robots. Okay, we do this. We give here. We sacrifice here. You know, we do all these things. And just like we read in Isaiah 1, the Lord is like, what's the point of it? What's the purpose? And our pastor in California, it trips me out so much. Because he used to say, you know, if you come to church and you're not going to obey, if you come to church and sit here for, you know, two hours and you're not going to obey, you're going to beat on your wife, you're going to cheat on your wife, you're going to do all your drugs, you're going to do your meth, you're going to, meth wasn't big back then, it's huge now. But you're going to do your crack, you know. We're Gen Xers, so it was crack back in the day. You know, you're going to do your crack. You're going to do your pornography. You're going to go to the strip clubs. You're going to do all these things, all these dirty things. If you're going to do all those things, don't come to church. And he would specifically say, don't even give. I don't want your money. We don't want your money at all. Don't come to church, point blank. And I heard that and I was like, whoa, what's he talking about? And then I started to read and I was like, whoa, he's right. He's right. This very guy that I had issues with, he would say these things and I would hate every single word he would say. But then I started to read the Bible. I was like, man, he's right. And I started to listen more and more and more. And he would just read from the word. And he'd go off the pages from his heart, out his mouth, right in my ears, right to my heart. And I repented before the Lord. And that's, that's what the Lord does throughout Gen. That's what he did 2,000 years ago. That's what he did 3,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago. People think I'm crazy. I'm kind of like a young earther because I read the Bible. But that's what the Lord did 2,000 years ago. That's what he did two days ago. That's what he's doing today. Inside of these temples to say, hey, don't forget about me. Don't forget about me. So we're going to end our study here. That was a short one. And we'll pick.